This podcast may contain explicit language and themes, so listener discretion is advised. Ill-advised, misinformed, our half-baked opinions will be performed. Are you ready? Is the mic on? Welcome to the Hill to Die On. You're listening to A Hill to Die On, a podcast hosted by two stubborn as shit Aussies who give hot takes on a different topic, go away to dig deeper, and then reconvene to share whether or not their hot take hill was worth dying on. We're your hosts, aspiring floating orbs... Josie Spicer and Cara Brooks. This week we're asking the question, will artificial intelligence take over the world? But before we get started, we have our very first moon unit to welcome. We want to thank Daniel for becoming the first ever absolute moon unit. Moon unit Zappa and her father Frank. Moon unit Zappa, the daughter of moon unit Zappa. It is correct, yes. Thanks, Daniel. So, Cara, what do you think? Will artificial intelligence take over the world? I fucking hope not. (laughs) I feel really conflicted about it, right? Because I think ultimately we'll probably destroy ourselves before we get a chance to let technology advance to that level Mm -hmm. with the way that it's going. There won't be much of a world for it to take over. Um, (laughs) Actually, I don't think many people will know this unless they're friends with me in real life, but I started studying Masters of Cybersecurity at the end of last year and you know, I have a pretty fucking rudimentary understanding of artificial intelligence at best. Like, that's me being pretty generous to myself. But I was <laughs> learning in the last couple of weeks just more about it. And it's fucking horrific. Like, Are you serious? I don't know if you heard of um, Taybot. Do you remember that when that came no. out? So Microsoft made this this artificial intelligence, which was designed to generate tweets. And so it would, like, tweet back. <gasps> oh, my God, back. it was the racist one. Yup. And they, I was watching this lecture about it and they were basically saying like, you know, it's not that the AI is racist, like the AI can't be racist, it doesn't really have opinions like that, but it's that mm-hmm. the way that AI learns is through interaction and through human behavior and so it's racist because people are racist. <laughs> And it's sexist because people are sexist and people on the internet are sexist and wherever it's getting its data from, which was, you know, Twitter, that's the attitudes that are prevalent there. So it's more of an indicative of our culture than of, you know, the AI itself. And another Mm -hmm. example they used was Google Translate. Most of us at some point would have used that form of AI. It's artificial intelligence is generated based on user input, based on, you know, a lot of things to to what would make be the most sensible translation, because obviously there's not direct translations of everything. Languages are pretty pretty nuanced and varied. But one of the examples Mm -hmm. they used was in Turkish. They don't have gendered pronouns. Everything is Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so like, you know, if you were saying the sentence of like, you know, that person is doing this, it's it's oh, like there's no gender. It could be it, he, she, whatever. Mm-hmm. So if you type in Google Translate all these sentences using the pronouns, when it sorts it into English, it genders them in a completely fucking sexist way. Oh, really? So it's like, he is a doctor, she is a nurse. He is hardworking. She Uh is lazy. Like, it's fucking horrific. And yeah, it's that. Like, it's not that the AI is stupid or is bad. It's that people are fucking stupid and bad. And so we can only create intelligence, really, that's as capable as we are. 
to a point like if the, if, if it's learning right. based on us and not based on just vast knowledge and not based on the best type of knowledge then it's going to get just as much idiotic input as it will intelligent input because that's what's disturbing to me so from my kind of understanding it's i guess i don't know if limited is the word but like it's still limited by the biases of the data that it like the input that it's getting exactly because it can't make its own decision to be like well fuck that's really racist i'm not going to agree with that you know it's just like (laughs) well that must be true like if people said it i guess it's true right so it's kind of like this impartial thing that's spewing back kind of almost like the worst parts of us sometimes it is literally like a black mirror and i mean that in the sense of the show in the sense that it is a dark reality it is the worst part of humanity being Mm -hmm. reflected back at you through technology basically it's bleak at best like to think of where that's headed is there any kind of particular examples that you're just like kind of side-eyeing or keeping an eye on things like weaponizing ai is pretty pretty scary (laughs) who knows what kinds of checks and balances there are within that and so where they have like drones and they have warfare it just gets real murky it's really difficult to know where that's headed absolutely and i think that ultimately possible unpopular opinion but machines are better than us in so many ways like they're more capable they can compute things faster they don't have the context generally i guess for a lot of things but they're just their knowledge is far far outweighs our own and their capacity for knowledge and retaining information and and recalling information so it wouldn't be unheard of for them to be able to overpower us i guess and physically like machines could be infinitely stronger than people but yeah it's 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 hard to know i still stand by that i think we will destroy ourselves before ai takes over or destroys us but i think it could go either way where part of me thinks like oh that would just be so nice to have ai take over everything like i'd live in that reality are you like in the valley between two hills or okay i feel like i have to call it because what's the fucking point i can't just sit on the fence um (laughs) will it take over uh no yeah what do you think no i think that people will use ai to their own ends to take over as we're kind of already seeing in authoritarian regimes and kind of warfare as you were kind of saying with drones and i don't know do you remember i think it was like a month or so ago there was this video you know boston dynamics yeah yeah so there's like this video of like a bunch of these like animal robots with like ai doing dances and stuff and it was supposed to be like super cute that these like little animals these little robot dudes and stuff were were dancing and it's just terrifying though right (laughs) yeah i replied to the tweet saying this is copaganda i don't really know how to explain it but it is and i guess it's because like they're like buttering us up to like normalize these sort of weird ass robots but actually like the reality is that they're probably going to be used for crowd control and monitoring and surveillance like that fucking black mirror episode they use them oh really did you see that one no yeah there's like a black mirror episode where it literally uses those dogs and it's like an apocalypse scenario where it's like are you kidding me like that's what i think of when i see them and i'd seen that boston dynamics video after seeing the black mirror episode and so I was like, oh, fuck, oh, like, nope, no, nope. <laughs> These are a thing. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I don't think that AI, by any stretch of the imagination, is inherently bad. As you said, it's, it's still limited by the biases 
that we hold and you know we've seen so many algorithms that are uh, inhibited by our biases but I think the the potential is still fantastic kind of as what you like what you were saying like machines are so capable so I'm thinking of two examples so uh the first thing that I'm excited about with like AI and like at least semi-autonomous drones is one of my friends he had to go to a cotton industry conference and basically there were these drones that were kind of semi-autonomous enough that they could fly around the cotton fields and see which areas specifically needed like fertilizer so that you're not just spraying everything with pesticide or spraying everything with fertilizer and you can like save water and it was like really trying to use technology in a way that was also relatively eco-conscious as well Mm -hmm. but the flip side of that is that semi-autonomous drones are going to be used to fucking kill children who are brown in in countries that aren't ours like and, and like I talk about these this farming drone and it's like well the reality is that the US military and God knows what other militaries are funding that at universities especially in Australia because Australia doesn't want to fund their own fucking programs not that I want the military to fund drone programs but you know what I'm saying like a lot of scientific research is military funded but anyway the cotton thing is cool second of all an AI sort of doctor was something that was discussed one time and people were like oh there's gonna be like no room for doctors anymore but then someone raised the point that well no the idea is that you'd have a a human doctor and this machine the machine is able to take in the data and run through everything and maybe give like a hyper accurate diagnosis but then you've got a human there who kind of like as you were saying the machines can't understand context so a human's there to understand context, to hear the patient, to take in all these other outside factors that no machine is going to grasp. Well, hypothetically, I mean, our experience with doctors. Uh. <laughs> kind of going back to our uh, body positivity episode, like, fuck. But, you know, in, a, in an ideal world where there were doctors with the best of intentions for their <laughs> patients, this might also cut down the, the workload or at least, like, the different roles. Yeah, like, the burden would be take. reduced. Yeah. Even in fucking Star Trek, they still have doctors, you know? Like, that's supposed <laughs> to be this, like, mad future world. And they have fucking machines where you lie in them and it diagnoses you with any fucking issue in your body. They have, like, tricorders that fucking fix everything. Like, they still have doctors. Yeah. So I think it's more about, like, humans need interaction. Huh. I Actually, I hadn't considered that, but you're totally right. There's still doctors in Star Trek. And I think Star Trek is really just our future. So <laughs> so that checks out. So in terms of where you want to go from here, like what are your questions? Will AI take over? What, what are some sort of avenues that you're interested in looking at? I guess like how advanced it currently is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like what sort of direction research is heading in with AI? Like, I don't think we really, I don't know, I certainly hope not, but I don't think we have any sort of, like, Skynet type of company going on that's trying to engineer um, AI to that level. Um, mm-hmm. But we might. So I'm, I'm curious to see, like, what where we're at currently, um, because you can sort of weigh that, I guess, against 
the trajectory of where we're at in a global climate sort of sense to realize like, eh, which one will come first? Like we destroy ourselves or the AI destroys us. Like, and, and I guess like the speed at which it's progressing. That, that's a good point. Like, I guess my thing was like, no, we're going to use AI to, to take over ourselves. But I don't think we even need AI for that. <laughs> we're just going to fucking yep. own ourselves already. It's fine. And if it gets to a point where AI is competent enough to take over, then honestly, A, we'll probably fucking deserve it. B, they'll probably do a better job. So... Could you imagine, like, this machine that, like, I don't know, is suddenly able to detect fucking global warming? And it's like, no, we're not going to fix that because I need to collect my coins. I would hope that this machine is is better than us. Well, this is the thing. It's like... it. If they were programmed to have human interest, like human health and interest at, at the fer- at the forefront, like we need to <laughs> do this because you will die, this person will die, other people will die, all lives are equally valuable kind of thing. Versus like, yeah, I guess you're rich, so I'll let the poor people die so you can get richer. That's a person attitude, that's not a sensible yes. or logical attitude, like, yeah. I'm not as anti-technology as a lot of people are. I mean, obviously, if I'm fucking studying computer science, but, like, I mean, my my goal would be to be a fucking cyborg. <laughs> I don't see a downside to that. To me, it's like, fuck yeah, robots are better than people. Yeah. I think the difference is creativity. That's why they have doctors in Star Trek, right, is because they're encountering new things that there's not data for in the computers. So mm-hmm. people have to jump to conclusions. People have to come up with creative ideas to, to have solutions. Yeah. yeah, and to like reprogram in new new data and new information that the machine might not know how to handle otherwise. I'm very much like, I don't know what you call it. I just don't think people are very good. And I don't think the world as a whole has much hope with people running it. So I'm not very precious about preserving humanity. But at the same time, I just, I don't have enough faith in us to think that we will get to a point where we are able to develop the technology without blowing ourselves up first. So... I mean, this has happened with the internet already, is that we create technology before thinking of the implications of that technology. There are some things that you can foresee, but then there are some where it's like, okay, you have to fucking deal with it when it comes up. But I do think AI Mm -hmm. is definitely one of those areas where it's like, well, the stakes are pretty high. Not that these machines are going to take over necessarily, but they still have to make decisions. And those decisions can affect people materially. Yeah, someone's health even. like Not that we have to stick to these things, of course, but if you're seeing kind of where we are at now, I'm interested to see what people who are interested in the ethics of AI, what they're sort of projecting or what their concerns are. But also, I think to to round it out, I wouldn't mind seeing like what the potential applications are. Like, I'm so pumped for that idea of this like cotton farming drone. But yeah, it'd be nice to focus on the good things. (laughs) Where people say machines will take our jobs and it's like, why do we fucking even need jobs? Like, (laughs) Oh, I'm (laughs) anti-job. Right? So fucking anti-job. And like, if you could have a machine do everything and you just work on your fucking self and your community being a better person, (laughs) you don't fucking need to clean that toilet if a machine can do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's not every job that you need a person to do. So if you don't have to do that, because that's always the problem with universal welfare and stuff is they're like, well, who's going to do that nasty job? If everyone gets paid, then they're not going to want to work. And then who's going to do that shitty job that no one wants to do? I'll tell you he'll do it. A fucking machine. People can have jobs servicing the machines and they can maybe make extra money or do whatever the fuck. I don't know. Maybe some people just need to keep busy. That's a new skill set. 
Also, by cultivating community, maybe people would be able to look after their loved ones in a better, more well-rounded way yeah. as well. Like, I don't know. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm keen to, to see where we go. All right, Kara, it's been a little bit since we went away uh, to figure out whether or not artificial intelligence will take over the world. I'd like to hear what you found. Cool. So I did the classic Wikipedia search to begin with. (laughs) And there is actually a whole Wikipedia article on the AI takeover. And I'd actually recommend it because it's quite decent reading um, for a Wikipedia article. So basically the the definition that they're going off here, which I think is pretty much what we were saying anyway, but just to set the record for anyone that might be, you know, if we didn't clarify it enough last time, the definition they used was a hypothetical scenario in which AI becomes the dominant form of intelligence on earth with computer programs or robots effectively taking control of the planet away from the human species. And I think that's a pretty solid, you know, definition for what we're discussing. There's a few different scenarios in which that could go down, but I'm going to focus on the main three that were discussed. So it was the main three, (laughs) the main, the main three ways that AI could take over, which is through one, a replacement of the entire human workforce Two, Mm -hmm. take over by a super intelligent AI. So just like one singular, I guess, AI that just keeps getting smarter and smarter. And third, a robot uprising. (laughs) So (laughs) I think when we think of it, usually we're thinking of one of those three as how Mm -hmm. this would eventuate. So in terms of replacement of the workforce, basically like innovation in artificial intelligence leads to worries that human labor will become obsolete, resulting in an economic crisis. So that already, I don't think it's happened to the point that it's an economic crisis, but I think that, you know, it's a legitimate fear in terms of like AI will replace a lot of human labor, but I don't think it has to be a negative thing. No, I agree. There are a lot of shitty jobs that people don't want to do and shouldn't have to do, quite honestly. And I think it would be a lot easier to automate those jobs. And I think focusing more on a socialist structure instead of capitalist would probably be more helpful for that like not being a fear like if you weren't worried about fucking dying on the street then hell yeah let the robots do the jobs but basically like another risk is that small and medium-sized businesses uh, might not be able to afford to license the latest robotic or ai technology and so they'd be left behind and driven out of business which like that's already happening in some respects but i don't think it's solely because of ai um so like companies like amazon and walmart and shit like that are you know knocking out small businesses and have been for a long time um so i don't think that's like the Mm -hmm. number one concern when it comes to small business but i think it's definitely something that a lot of small businesses have to consider like that they're staying ahead i hadn't considered it at all honestly I mean, a lot of it is even, you know, and I'll get to it later, but simple things like customer service reps being AI based. Right. Yeah. And I think like that becomes more of a concern, honestly, when it's a larger scale business anyway, you know, the the larger the business is, the more that that would be a concern. But I guess like the more things progress, the higher the expectation becomes for interacting with the business. So then the next point was takeover by a super intelligent AI. A super intelligent machine, it's likely to not be motivated by the same emotional desire to collect power that often drives human beings. So I think this is kind of similar with when we spoke about pets. Like, are we anthropomorphizing machines? Ah, yes. No, you're right. I think, like, instead of, you know, with our pets, we're doing it through a lens of empathy to try and connect with them. And I think with machines, it's opposite. Like, we're doing it through a lens of abjectivity or othering because we fear what we don't understand. 
and you know a lot of people don't desire to connect with machines and i think that's kind of weird when you think about it because we already rely on them for so much <laughs> so it's like why is there this disconnect when you know we we see the best of ourselves i think in our pets and yet we choose to see the worst of humanity in machines yeah like we choose to think that they would be greedy or they would be malicious in some way when that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, and I think the, the truth is that we fear that they're smarter than us or they're more powerful than us, and we don't have that fear with our pets. Yeah. So maybe that's... So is it kind of like in the same way that like we wouldn't like a lion? Like we fear them, so let's poach them because we don't want to be... I was going to say that exactly. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, like dangerous animals. Like animals that are either deadly or more powerful than us, we, we think they have ill intent, whereas our pets, we want to assume they have you know pure intent. <laughs> Like, I think every spider is Satan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Straight up. Like, I'm like, it's trying to kill me. And it wants to climb on my face and in my holes everywhere. Like, fuck it. It's in. No. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely yeah. like, you know, you bring your own prejudice into it. And I think culturally we're made to feel uneasy about machines. So it makes sense. So I guess, you know, the next question it brings you to is what would motivate a machine to take over the world mm. if it wasn't human reasons? And really what it would come down to, I suppose, is an increase of access to resources. So, you know, if especially if a machine has like a singular goal um, and it gets really hell bent on achieving that goal, then, it, you know, the more resources it has, the better. And I think an example they used in that article was something like, you know, uh, if the machine's desire was to create paper clips and all it wanted to do was make paper clips, you know, and as, as mundane and stupid as it might seem, if using all of the resources in the world, it's like, yes, I'm going to have so many paper clips, it's going to do it, you know, like that's if that's the singular goal. Other than that, preventing other agents from stopping the machine, that would be like the only real, like, logical reasons mm. and machines are generally logical so basically stopping people from terminating it if you will <laughs> still just really over the paperclip thing i mean there are machines right like there has to be a machine that makes paperclips i am gonna put a paperclip on that and i'll get back to that later, <laughs> okay uh, in my section okay so the other sort of like factors of takeover by a super intelligent AI is if you had an AI with the abilities of a competent AI researcher, which to me, like that's a bit of a stretch, but let's just run with it for the sake of this argument. <laughs> they would be able to modify their own source code and therefore increase its own intelligence. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So it would just get exponentially smarter as it's able to keep increasing its intelligence with each update, I guess, which could result in a recursive intelligence explosion that would rapidly leave human intelligence far behind you know it's it's a pretty fast jump though like you start off at a place that's already a bit eh, and then you just like obviously the yes. next step makes sense but does the first step make sense so i think it's a little bit of a stretch certainly at this point the launching point is not even feasible so you're kind exactly. of exactly so it leaves yeah. you this sort of question like okay but what if that's a pretty big if so i don't know if you came across this guy but nick bostrom who's a swedish philosopher there was a definition he had of super intelligence um and i think it's a pretty good one for what we're talking about but he defines super intelligence as any intellect which greatly exceeds the cognitive performance of humans in virtually all domains of interest that's actually mm. a really good definition just because it makes it seem so unlikely in terms of like how could you possibly yes. 
outsmart humans in everything. Like there's certain things that we can do far better and I'll get to that later as well. But anyway. Yeah, that, that's basically all of my section is like, yeah, well, robots will never be able to do this. So his definition makes me feel very safe and comfortable. Okay, good. <laughs> so robot uprising was the next point. And, you know, once again, it's giving robots anthropomorphic motives or at least an active mm. desire to fight humans, which sidebar, I don't know if you came across this as well. The term robot slipped into the global lexicon through Carol Capek's 1921 play called R.U.R. But basically robot. No, I've never. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it until this. And I'm actually really surprised I haven't because it was so fucking up my alley. But it's basically like a play about robots revolting. So apparently robot comes from the Czech word robota, meaning laborer or serf. Oh, shit. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. So I found that pretty well. that's so cool. Right? So yeah, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. And I thought it was worth bringing up because it's like our whole basis for what a robot means is based on it doing our work or, you know, like you're already putting it in a position of servitude. And then... (gasps) No wonder we fear this uprising, right? Because we've kind of seen workers uprisings especially by 1921 yeah exactly and like it was created like the term is completely interlinked with it uprising because that was the cultural context of how it was brought into our lexicon so yeah i thought that was cool that's so cool a fear of cybernetic revolt just to like (laughs) link back again to the uprising is it's basically based on human history so you know which is rife with slavery genocide (laughs) fucking each other over machines generally like they would not be hostile or friendly unless they're programmed that way so we're once again Mm -hmm. putting our own human context into a machine that doesn't have the ability or the desire to do that So would the need to compete for resources create goals of self-preservation in a machine? If an AI's goals of self-preservation could be in conflict with humans, for example, like humans switching off the AI, would it revolt against humans? Which, maybe. (laughs) Did you come across Isaac Asimov's rules for robotics at all? I didn't go into them, but I'm like vaguely familiar with them from studying him in uni. Yeah, and it just reminds me like sort of like the first rule is that you don't bring harm to a human. Mm -hmm. So it's like even in instances of self-preservation, they wouldn't do that if it meant harm to a human. But I'll also get into that later. Which apparently this is the next point I was going to make. So I'm glad you brought that up. Present day automation systems are not designed for safety and AI might blindly optimize narrow functions, leading them to seek self-preservation and an elimination of obstacles, including humans who might switch them off. (laughs) It's the paperclip issue. Yeah. (laughs) Because they're thinking like it's not a big deal. Yeah. Because they're not intending them to be, you know, human like AI. So they're not putting in those safety, I guess, like stopping points um, and they're not using Asimov's law of robotics at this point for certain things where it's like what's to say that it wouldn't just keep going because it doesn't have those checkpoints or like even if you did have a robot it might not be able to implement harm but it could still see the ways in which harm could be done or it still need it it can't itself harm humans but what's to stop it from programming other robotics (laughs) you know like yeah it just becomes a bit of a like 
it's, it's once again, like the, the jumping points of like, okay, we're already starting at a stretch and now the other points are really easy to step to, but it was a pretty big jump together in the first place. I read an article on Forbes by Shep Hyken. It was more about, I guess, like the workforce replacement. So it talked about artificial intelligence being a customer service representative replacement. And mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but like my experiences with AI as customer service reps have, let's just say they've not been stellar. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure I sent you a screen cap last week where I was like sassing an AI. Just <laughs> Maybe it's because like I can't sass real customer service reps because I know what it's like to be in that job. Whereas with a robot, when they're just like not understanding what you're talking about, I'm like, fuck it. And I just sass them. <gasps> so there was a quote in that article that said, while AI may not in fact replace the human interaction, it could in fact go hand in hand to offer a better customer experience when used as the incredible tool it was intended to be. Okay. Yeah, like I agree with that to a point. Like if it got to a point where it was really good, I would definitely not anywhere near that point right now. I know that as someone who deals with customers, I would much fucking rather a robot did my job. <laughs> like yeah. I would rather be the person that fixes the robots instead of talking to the customers. My experience is probably not everyone's, but I don't know. Like I, I think it, it's definitely already being used that way. Um, like there's so many chatbots getting about through big business, especially through government sites, through like, you know, we, we use AI so much every day, I think, without even realizing. And like all the mm -hmm. um, Internet of Things devices we have, like sensor devices, you know, like I have a Fitbit on my arm right now. Like there's so much that we use that we don't even consider that could be, yes. you know, varying levels of AI. Because the thing I guess I hadn't considered is that AI is fundamentally like an umbrella term for a whole bunch of mm -hmm. things. Totally. So I read this article on The Conversation by Mauro Velardi and it got into quantum theory, which is absolutely not my forte. And I was like, <laughs> Robert? Like, <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it spoke about how, you know, a supreme unstoppable intelligence would need to accurately predict the future. And how can it do that if the universe is random? Ah, that makes you comfortable. So it was saying how like the universe is chaotic, random, unpredictable. I'm about to make you really uncomfortable in a minute. It was saying AI would eventually reach a point where it could no longer predict the future. So it cannot mm. increase in intelligence. So in other words, there's no risk of a runaway AI intelligence because the laws of the nature of the universe is preventing an AI escalation. Right, so it's still constrained by fundamental laws yes. of the universe. This is random. You can't predict the future, therefore you can't. That's the only way that you could keep getting smarter mm. and smarter is being able to predict things that are happening. But <laughs> here's where I make you uncomfortable. An alternate perspective on this is that the universe is actually deterministic and therefore entirely predictable and humans are just too dumb to understand it. <sighs> that is very possible, Kara. <laughs> that is very possible. Basically, a super intelligence could discover the hidden variables of the universe and therefore understand the predictable nature of the universe. So... You know, the author of that article was undecided, but basically he said we have to focus on AI being a benefit rather than a threat. Yeah. Like, I agree with that. And I think that in terms of predictability, like, fucking AI can't even predict the weather, dude. Like, <laughs> I don't really see it. It's certainly not anytime soon no. and not within our lifetimes. I don't see it doing anything too crazy. And I don't know, like, I, you know, I don't know enough about physics. I'm, I will straight up say I had to fucking look up quantum theory. I don't know enough about the nature of the universe as a whole, enough to know if I think, even if I believe, if it's, you know, chaotic or determined. So... Um, I think it's an interesting concept. That's an interesting question. You know, I'll leave that to the pros. 
So the last article I read was another one on the conversation by a woman named Eleni Vasilaki. Mm-hmm. But basically it, she was like demystifying AI techniques. Um, so she said like one of the main things that we think about when we think about AI is machine learning. Uh, which probably sounds a lot more impressive than it really is. <laughs> but basically it's, you know, allowing a machine to learn a task without being programmed with specific instructions. Right. So it learns through algorithms and mundane statistics. Um, just because AI can learn, it doesn't therefore follow that it will learn all aspects of human intelligence and outsmart mm-hmm. us, which, you know, fucking valid. Like, yeah. hell yeah, that doesn't, you know, it, that is the whole jump. Like that's where the jump begins is like, it can learn therefore it can learn everything it's like you can teach a dog to sit you're not gonna teach it to fucking speak french you know what i mean like there's certain things that it has limits so she was more concerned about how humans use ai (laughs) versus the ai itself which yeah 100 percent and when systems are trained the wrong way, that's where we end up with exactly what we were talking about last week, like sexist, racist, et cetera, determinations that it makes mm-hmm. because the input and you know the context from which it's learning, like the information that it's using to learn is flawed and therefore it makes flawed determinations. I think the example she used in that article was talking about if you had an AI that was based around accepting students into an engineering degree and statistically you know, in the past, men have been entered into that degree. And it's not because men are better at it. It's because that's what society, sexist society, let happen. (laughs) And so the machine based with those statistics would tell you that a better candidate was a man. It wouldn't be impartial to the gender. And so there's things like that where, you know, if you're giving it information that there's a whole bunch of variables and a human would see those variables and the reasons why those variables happened, and a machine wouldn't. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's difficult when that's the only information you're giving it is based in statistics and not in decisions, like actual decisions. And doesn't have nuance and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so she said, the way that they are used should concern us, not the methods themselves. <laughs> Human greed and unintelligence scare me more than artificial intelligence, yeah. which like... Fuck yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> Big same. People scare me way more than machines do. Totally. Because, hey, machines are fucking predictable. Like, machines do generally do what they told, or if they fuck up, there's a reason for it. Exactly. You brought up points, some that were comforting and some that concerned me. So a lot of kind of what you explained is that there's this assumption that there's this general intelligence, like I think people call it artificial general intelligence, like AGI, where Mm -hmm. it's an intelligence that can do multiple jobs. So like one of my first points was like, we don't have AGI. And like, that's going to be a huge jump if we ever make it there. But then you brought up that whole paperclip thing where it's like, but what if there's this one hyper fixated fucking paperclip maker? So a lot of people aren't scared of like narrow AI because it's like, oh, it's just one job. Mm-hmm. But now I have the fucking yep. thought in my head of this paperclip machine just being hellbent. It's turning everything <laughs> into a paperclip. It like folds your body into a giant paperclip. Like, yes. you become paperclip. Yes. Yes, that's so ominous. <laughs> Holy shit. So anyway, I just wanted to like bring that up because like my first paragraph is now like, oh, I'm not as confident as I was when I wrote this. It, it definitely is like it splits you in two. Like there's two diff- and there's two different ways to look at it, which I guess is the whole fucking point of our show. But like 
it really is which side do you choose to sit on because even the experts are sort of undecided it seems or have conflicting opinions yes and we don't know right like we're trying to predict the future so as with like all things I think about I am answering the question but Mm -hmm. I always kind of come back to justice and harm caused to people so spoiler alert I don't think there'll be an AI uprising or taking over the Mm -hmm. world or even begin to understand the complexities and nuance that people do but I don't think that matters Mm -hmm. as much as the potential harms that can be caused by AI in general yeah I don't think that AI has to necessarily enslave us in order for it to kind of take over our lives like I think the decisions it makes for us or that affect us are kind of just as bad so kind of the first thing I touched on was AI and AGI so as I just mentioned and as you said we encounter narrow AI purpose built for a specific function all day every day basically so like for example image Mm -hmm. recognition to being an AI that could control a car like it can't do that and it couldn't then pivot to becoming an unmanned drone or something but as I was reading it seemed that people in the AI space as you said many are skeptical about whether like AGI will ever come to fruition but then there are some people like who are head honchos at Google and stuff who thinks that AGI will be here anywhere from 2030 to 2099 apparently there's a bottleneck in development because most machine learning relies on data that has been labeled by humans Mm. rather than the machines learning without human direction so this transfer of knowledge between domains is also like another bottleneck issue. I personally believe that we won't be able to achieve AGI in our lifetime, but someone wanted to caution skeptics and they used an example from the realm of nuclear physics. Basically, 16 hours after a speech was made, declaring the consensus view that it would never be possible to extract atomic power from atoms, someone read that speech and became so annoyed by it that they invented a nuclear chain reaction mediated by neutrons Less than 16 hours later. And in brackets, I'm like, this is the kind of stubbornness that Kara and I can relate to. (laughs) Yes. I can't tell you how many times I've done that kind of shit. As in, obviously nothing that impressive, but like (laughs) that level of petty. Like, you can't do this fucking yeah, you want to watch? Absolutely. That's just like my little forewarning of like whether or not we'll reach uh, a general sort of human-ish intelligence that is kind of dynamic. But yeah. One of our patrons, Ben, sent me a book called Rebooting AI, Building Artificial Intelligence We Can Trust. And in that, the authors noted the gap between object recognition and genuine comprehension, which is, I feel like, underpins all of this discussion. AI can learn object recognition by using deep learning, but genuine comprehension is a whole other ball game. Yeah. The authors of this book use the following example when thousands of former slaves stand up one by one and declare i am spartacus each one is risking execution we all know instantly that every one of them except spartacus himself is lying and that we have just witnessed something moving and profound and so like you know ai would be programmed to either learn that they are all spartacus because they declared it so or they would know who the real spartacus is read the former slave statements as false and not understand the profound action and intention behind that scene Mm -hmm. because it can't draw on history and and metaphor and all that sort of thing. Another example of the lack of genuine understanding AI currently has can be seen in the following case, which I've been bringing up to everyone that like 
I possibly can. PhD candidate Emma Ahmed Rengers was playing around with Google's Cloud Vision API, which predicts the nature of images and its content. The potential outcomes of this computer vision would be really useful for things like content moderation and law enforcement applications. And we hear more and more of people who are currently being paid a pittance to perform content moderation tasks themselves and they're also being super traumatized by the content they're exposed to. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. I can only imagine, right? And and already cops that work in child exploitation material um, have to have a lot of safeguards in place to not traumatize them. So the potential of this AI is is great. That's like legit what I want to do as a job, as in not content moderation, but like digital forensics. And so I'm like, oh, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> it's such a worthwhile job, but it's also like so fucked. Like the sort of shit you would say, my God. Yeah, there'd have to be so much support, right? But that's what also makes me wonder is like, there's so many levels of that that takes human nuance of like knowing when something is fucked, like just because it looks a certain way, uh-huh. um, it might or might not be fucked. You know what I mean? Like, because there's no context, like there's no comprehension, like you said. You just hit the nail on the head. Okay. <laughs> the author makes it clear that they're not opposed to computer vision, but she expressed serious doubts about the possibility of systems that claim to reliably detect violence from images. So this doubt arose when Emma used extremely violent images as input. Uh, she used images of war crimes, torture, riot, and propaganda from terrorist groups. And these weren't classified as violent. <laughs> Huh. I will link the post in the show notes that will be on our website, but a clear example of the lack of understanding of what constitutes violence on the AI's behalf can be seen when an infamous image from the torture conducted by the US military in Abu Ghraib prison was used. The image depicted a detained man who was standing on a box with wires attached to his fingers while his face was covered in a black hood. As humans, we can see this image and we understand, even if we don't understand it's from Abu Ghraib, we can see that it's violent in nature. And we can also see a person in car like khaki pants in the foreground, which can kind of, you can make assumptions about this photo. Google's computer vision did not see it in the same way, and it was classified as unlikely to be violent. The labels mm. attached to it were witch hat and costume accessory oh god because of mm. the hood and could you imagine that automatically coming up in a child's search for like witch's hat costume for halloween right like would it see a kkk hat and be like chef like exactly. <laughs> yeah. fucking no, you're totally right it misses all of that understanding emma went on to discuss why this happened so computer vision tools do not learn substantive concepts or narratives they work on the basis of mathematical and statistical analysis of the pixel values in an image. Mm -hmm. This analysis does not help the computer understand what's going on. AI may have a particularly hard time grasping what constitutes violence as it's super contextual. Kicking a ball in a football game, not violent. Kicking in a classroom may be violent. Smashing windows can be violent but can also be, in another context, necessary to save lives. What makes something violent may depend on the intentions of the actors within an image, the effects on the potential victims, and the power dynamics between those people. Violence inherently requires a social understanding, which is something humans are able to draw upon and comprehend incredibly quickly without realizing. And also, Violence can be dynamic and subjective depending on the time and space. I've done subjects on violence and how violence changes over time. What's constituted as violence 
is super subjective, even though you'd think it wouldn't be. So knowing this can provide both comfort in the fact that we're currently not close to having some kind of android, you know, Blade Runner situation on our hands, <laughs> but it's also unsettling to think of the ways in which we are deploying AI tech without this broader understanding if they have the possibility of materially harming people through their decisions. So they're lacking that nuance and they still be made, maybe making decisions that hurt people mm -hmm. even without intent because it's, they don't know. This dynamic nature of what constitutes violence and AI's inability to grasp it may also indicate problems when it comes to those who aim to model AI using the safeguards inspired by the science fiction writer Isaac Asimov. Science fiction has been thinking of the implications of artificial intelligence for a long time. And again, you mentioned that in the very nature of the word robot, which is still blowing my mind. <laughs> so Isaac Asimov drafted the three laws of robotics, which are as follows. First law, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Second law, a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Third law, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such a problem does not conflict with the first or second law. At a first glance, it sounds like a good set of principles that still puts humans in a higher, like, you know, the primary position and maintaining their safety. But Ruth Cheng, chair and professor of jurisprudence at the University of Oxford, noted in a February 2021 article in the New Statesman, not harming humans, like the term harm, is flawed because harm may vary in definition, just like violence might. Mm -hmm. So as we see from the Abu Ghraib example, this is true with current AI capabilities. And even as someone who is in the justice space, harm is not a universally understood thing, like even fraud. Some people call that harm, some people don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like, is it saying like physical, emotional, like psychological, like what sort of harm is it? Exactly. And how would it know if it's gonna psychologically harm a person if it can't predict how people think or feel like? <laughs> exactly, exactly, if it can't empathize, yeah. right? Like can't even for an instant put itself in that person's shoes. Like I saw recently um, a fucking talking scale and I was like, well, that seems harmful. <laughs> oh my God. Like, shh, shh, shut up, shh. Like, <laughs> Be quiet. I'm like, that's that's a fucking robot that's doing harm. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> where's your fucking first law there? <laughs> it doesn't know that it might be inadvertently like perpetuating gross yeah. ideals. Like, yeah. Uh, I'd like to look a little more at the proposed safeguards, like when building AI. So we have the three laws of robotics mentioned before, but others have changed and expanded on this. And I noticed these expanded laws are highly influenced by their own backgrounds and profit motivations because humans and capitalism. Mm. So like, for example, one of the people who made other laws and these other laws had such subjective meaning. So Raytheon endowed her with the title Raytheon Professor. Raytheon is the, the missile company that makes war things. And I was like, I don't trust yeah. you on AI ethics, lady. Uh, apparently she's done a lot of work in rescue drones, but the, the tech that's used for rescue drones can be used for nefarious reasons. And I'll kind of touch on that too. One proposed expansion of these three laws comes from Mark Rosenberg, a professor of information privacy law at Georgetown Law. He argues that the three laws should be expanded to include an extra two. The fourth law, a robot must be able to identify itself to the public, which in, in brackets, symmetrical identification. 
and the fifth law dictating that a robot must be able to explain to the public its decision-making process, also known as algorithmic transparency. I have no criticisms, or at least informed criticisms, of the fourth law, but I asked some of my friends who are computer scientists what they think of the algorithmic transparency, as it's often floated around by a lot of people who touch on AI and ethics. To the layperson, myself, transparency sounds like an inherently good thing for the public in order for them to hold both public and private entities accountable for the algorithms that they use that may impact society. My friends explained there are some issues with this because not only will transparent algorithms be meaningless to most people viewing them, except expert programmers, but the nature of a lot of AI and machine learning is that it develops in real time along with large data inputs. So if it's going to do damage, you're watching it in real time. And maybe there's an opportunity to pull it. If we could predict what an AI is going to do, we would just program it that way. I would also worry about transparency leading to hacking. Yes. Um, yeah. And maybe that's just where my degree is, but like I'm, you know, I, I, I think I'm learning a lot about like how much shit is exposed and how malicious some people really are mm -hmm. um, in terms of wanting to exploit technology to their own gains. And in something like AI, especially if it was a really advanced form of AI, you know, um, the ways that you could use it nefariously are huge. Like the impacts of that are huge. And if you had access to altering that AI and you had all the blueprints in front of you and you could <laughs> see how it was changing and you could try and jump in and you were, you know, obviously a, a computer programmer that were, was advanced enough to be able to do those things. I think it's a huge assumption that a lot of computer scientists are white hats when it's really not the case. Uh, like I have to take a course later this year called um, Ethical Hack. It's literally called ethical hacking and defense. And I'm like, so you're teaching me hacking and defense and just hoping that I'll be ethical about it, really. Yeah. Like, yeah, you absolutely. Can't, you know, I mean, you can teach me the ethics, but there's no guarantee that I'll follow them. And I'm not saying that I will go and be unethical. I'm just saying, you know, that's the the implication is that you will be ethical, but it's, you, you can't really enforce that. Like they even tell us to like look up certain things and they're like, don't search this person. Do not search this IP address. Like it is a bad actor, but just for the purpose of this exercise, we need you to like look at this document without, you know, actually interacting with this person oh, or without shit. interacting with this thing because it's a breach of ethics. So mm. there's certain things where it's like, you know, there's huge implications there. And if you were inclined to abuse that, you absolutely could. And who's going to stop you? There's this assumption that baddies are dumb. I think that's because movies tell us that. Because in movies, they always get caught. And yeah. in reality, it's just not the case. It's not like that. Because um, one, yeah. who is good and bad and what is ethical and not is, is again, subjective. But also, like, mm -hmm. we know that a lot of ISIS recruits have engineering and comp sci backgrounds yeah and like if, if you have an organization to do harm especially like from a terrorist perspective you would want the most intelligent people you could get in order to be the most effective doy really it's like yeah like you know if you're wanting to fucking take over the world you want to have the smartest people available you're going to recruit from the highest echelons of education like of course they're going to be people that are extremely intelligent and the more intelligent it seems that people are a lot of the time the more they want to subvert mm -hmm. society because they don't agree with it i don't love bureaucracy but i'm wondering if there could be some sort of independent body that can 
have a look at these codes and see if they hold up to whatever standard of ethics. It's like even with military shit, like do you, I know that there's people that think that the public should have access to everything and there's people that leak information, but it's like it's also extremely fucking dangerous. Like there's a reason why, you know, I think some governments mm-hmm. definitely use shit poorly and, you know, spy on their citizens and do things they shouldn't do. But there's also some things that the public doesn't fucking need to know because it could endanger them if bad people know about it, basically, or people with ill intent find out about it so and can exploit it. And it's kind of all these considerations are considerations that AI can't have on its own. Yeah. As well, which is another thing. Like, And that's why I think these conversations, even if we never get to this like general purpose super intelligent AI. I still think considering it and trying to mitigate harm is is really important. Totally. So to refer back to the Ruth Chang piece in The New Statesman, she noted there's also a danger that doesn't come from a necessarily nefarious use of AI, but from outsourcing decision-making in such an efficient way that we forget how to make our own decisions. So AI assumes that in indecision, there are only two possibilities, that there's an option that's better and there's an option that's worse. Or if they're equally good, you flip a coin. In reality, hard choices are often made with compromises and the weighing of pros and cons, kind of like what we were just talking about with this fifth rule. Once again, nuance and social understandings almost always come into play. So to finish off and kind of get back to the topic of harm, we don't need to imagine a future where AI harms people. We've seen instances of AI being used, of course, at the direction of governing bodies and private entities in a way that has changed the course of people's lives. We've seen people die by suicide due to a flawed algorithm, which those in Australia may know as RoboDebt, which was used to issue debt notices at the direction of the Australian government. And a lot of these debt notices weren't factual. (laughs) We have seen people persuaded by content presented on social media, which was specifically targeted at them, which was at least somewhat responsible for their voting habits in a democratic society, which undermines democracy, in my opinion. Proponents of AI will sometimes say that being fearful of AI is rooted in a fear of change. And I've seen some articles even go as far to say that this fear of change is what brings about homophobia, transphobia, and xenophobia. This argument is not really engaging with what a lot of people fear. AI isn't inherent to a society like differences in sexuality, gender, and race. We also know that algorithms and datasets provided to AI are created by people, and we have seen the ways in which algorithms can be prejudiced based on those inputs. So homophobia, transphobia, and xenophobia can actually be perpetuated by AI. We've seen demonstrations of algorithms unfairly targeting people who are othered by data inputs, and it's entirely reasonable to want to have discussions about how to mitigate further marginalization as we move forward. And to totally finish this off, I don't want to say that we shouldn't try to use AI as a tool to transform human life for the better. Kind of what you were saying before, Kara, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have less people working as long as they're supported, housed, fed, and people create stuff. That's what we love to do. Mm -hmm. There will be something else that we create. Yeah, and it's like if the main thing that robots can't do is comprehension, essentially that's like philosophy. Like maybe we can have another fucking enlightened age where we actually have fucking philosophers that can afford to, and artists and creators that can afford to do this shit because there's machines doing the shitty jobs they don't have to do. AI has the possibility to save lives and improve life in a number of ways. We could outsource number crunching, which we do now, and decisions that have minimal impact to AI. 
We could even use AI to help moderate content and make decisions that have more at stake, but it needs to be used in conjunction to humans and a team of people who have varied understandings and are capable of discussing nuance. As with all tools, AI has been, is, and will continue to be used to fulfill the desires of those who wield the tool. We need to keep having these discussions and collectively decide to what extent we want AI to be in our lives and to do our best to ensure those with the technology utilize it in such a way that reflects human-centric values. Uh, which is to say, of course we won't, because we rarely fucking do, but we should try anyway, because it's the right thing to do or whatever. Um, or whatever. But yeah, that's basically where I'm at. So your hill was no, AI won't take over. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know whether or not that still holds true. I think if anything, this research kind of conflicted me. Um, more than I thought it would Mm -hmm. just because it raised a lot of questions and things I hadn't thought of but I still am generally leaning towards no and I think honestly for the same kind of reasons I like a human driven uh, misuse of AI versus AI itself you know gaining sentience gaining consciousness Mm -hmm. and, and deciding to revolt or whatever if there was a loss in workforce due to AI I imagine you know it would be so someone like Jeff Bezos can just keep profiting not that AI itself Mm -hmm. you know wants to take over it made me think a lot about how we interpret information as well like I know I didn't discuss it in my segment but I did read some things about like the speed at which we compute information and obviously like machines are a lot faster at that Um, but we just seem to think that because the human potential for imagination is huge um, that we think that it can do anything and the reality is very different yes Even in sci-fi, like in sci-fi movies and things, there's also this underlying, like I know we spoke about the um, sort of like abjectivity and fear that people have with technology and the way that it's perpetuated in culture. But I think there's also a frustration with it not working that gets perpetuated. Like it's not working Mm -hmm. in in the way that it's intended. And I think that's so fucking relatable as well. And not just in the sense of like, you know, Terminators uprising and taking over, but more like uh, Total Recall. There are Johnny cabs in that movie, which are automated cabs, like cab drivers. Um, and they're like a Hi. robot. It's like this, it looks like a ventriloquist dummy, like a robot sitting in the front of the cab. And Arnie's oh, character no. gets so frustrated with it not understanding his instructions that he literally rips it out of the seat. <laughs> so I think like something like that, yeah, is so relatable because we do have these frustrations with technology and seeing it, you know, even when it's that advanced in this futuristic society, it still doesn't work. It doesn't understand. Like, and that's why he's frustrated is because it's not comprehending the context for why he's upset. It just has very simple instructions that yeah. it has to follow. Do you feel that you learned a lot from your research this week? Did it change your opinion on on where you stood at the start? Because you had said, I think, very similar, like you didn't think it was going to take over. Yeah, I feel like I learned that we're maybe further behind than mm. where, where I thought we are. Other than that, it, this reminds me, I, I don't have the quote, but it's the fucking dude, Edward Bernays. So he was like the pioneer of public relations. And and his big thing was like, what I'm doing is neither good nor bad. It's a tool. Public relations is a tool and it can be used for good and bad. Mm -hmm. He mostly used it for bad, helping US imperialism. And also, I mean, he wasn't directly responsible for this, but Goebbels, even though Bernays was Jewish, a self-loathing Jew. um, (laughs) Who isn't? (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Goebbels had this Jewish person's book 
on his fucking shelf because he's like, this guy, this public relations guy, he gets it and he's inspired all of my fucking propaganda wow. like methods. And I bet if you asked Goebbels about it, though, he would have been like, yeah, because he's a Jewish manipulator. Like there would have been some sort of fucking. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're so fucking right, Kara. Uh... We've got the pesky Jews secrets here. Like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how they do it. Them with the three fucking parentheses. <laughs> I think it's just human nature and our own decisions that uh, we have to fear. And no, AI won't take over. If you want to catch us elsewhere, let us know your opinions on AI on Twitter at a hill to die on pod. You can like us on Facebook at a hill to die on. Our website is a hill to die on pod.com. Patreon, if you want to shoot us some money and become an amazing golf or hire, is patreon.com slash a hill to die on pod. Our email is hill to die on pod at gmail.com. And you can follow us, like us, whatever, on Instagram at a hill to die on pod. Until next time, see ya. Bye.